This special 100th episode of Hitting Play is brought to you by... Kids! Breakfast! Ugh, not the same old boring breakfast again! Breakfast routine got you down? Well, don't worry. There's new Lego brand cereal. Now we got something new! Whoa, I love Legos! It's a colorful and creative part of your breakfast routine. It's so crunchy! I love it! And the best part is, there's no expiration date. Dad, can I play with my food? Yeah, that's fine. But that's not all. Every box comes with a free prize inside. It's a banana! Ew! It's all brown and mushy and gushy and bleh. Best way to start your day is by Hello and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott. And joining me from the movie riffing group One Wall Cinema, K1, a.k.a. Kevin, welcome back. Thanks, glad to be here. And also joining us from the great city of Melbourne is Hamish. Hamish, welcome back. Hey, it's great to be back. I'm Hamish. Welcome back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is a, a very special episode. After almost two years, Hitting Play has finally reached its 100th episode. And now some of you may say, well, yeah, but that's 100 if you include that 15-minute episode that Hamish did reviewing Civil War. And uh, to that I say, shut up. So we figured (laughs) what better way to mark this very special episode by discussing some very special TV episodes. And, you know, as we go through these, these may or may not be our favorites, but one thing is for certain. These are very special episodes. So we're going to be discussing some TV episodes that... Uh, stand out from the others in their respective series or perhaps in our minds and in our hearts for better or for worse and mostly worse. All right, so each of us made uh, three picks of episodes that came to mind when we thought of episodes that are very special in a sense. And so uh, let's 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 get right to our list. Uh, Kevin, you want to start with what, what you picked? All right. So so for my first pick, uh, I didn't necessarily pick a single episode. I went with sort of a theme on this one. Um, now, every now and then, uh, TV shows try to do something special to try and uh, boost their ratings. And one idea that seems to come up quite a bit, a little more often recently, is doing a musical episode. Mm. <laughs> Musicals are something, you know, if they're done right, they can be great, you know, like Pirates of Penzance. You know, that's classic. But usually when you see them in a TV series, it tends to be something uh, a little more comedic, you know, like Mm -hmm. uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, South Park, Simpsons, Futurama, American Dad, Scrubs, Psych, that 70s show. (laughs) You can go on and on and on, you know. But you do, you know, occasionally see them kind of shoehorned into episodes of uh, dramatic shows like X-Files, Fringe, uh, Father Ted, (laughs) Star (laughs) Trek Deep Space Nine, Voyager. You know, some of those are good, some are interesting, others are just kind of odd, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, m- many times you see them sort of being part of uh, someone's imagination or some some sort of hallucination or, you know, someone's in a coma, you know, in order to <laughs> kind of make it fit in the their timeline, I guess. You know, some of the really weird choices would have been like uh, Grey's Anatomy, Uh <laughs> They had an episode called Song Beneath the Song, uh, which basically critics kind of just felt the songs were just kind of shoehorned in there. uh, And it just didn't go over well. 
But probably one of the strangest shows to have a musical number was HBO's Oz. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, oh, no. Yeah. So February 10th, 2002, uh, they had a show called Variety, which was written by Tom Fontana. It basically featured the inmates performing uh, fantasy song and dance routines. Wow. I guess apparently... Uh, the story behind that was the the guy who normally narrates it couldn't be there for the episode since he was off filming uh, The Matrix Reloaded. So, so what they did was they replaced all the narrator's parts with uh, with the songs. <laughs> wow. Sorry. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense to like... So wait, wait. The guy's like, oh, wait, we can't get him today? Uh, I guess we better just do songs. Yeah, so I, they... <laughs> I guess... What? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yours... <laughs> Baffled as I am. <laughs> now, full di- full disclosure, I I've never actually seen this episode. I did watch, uh, you know, some of the uh, the musical clips from it. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it, <laughs> for for what it was, it it's not half bad. Um, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and critics <laughs> critics really seem to enjoy it as well. Probably because most of the actors that were in it are actually accomplished singers with Broadway experience. Okay. Uh, Rita Moreno, the first ever EGOT winner, (laughs) is in it. Sure, sure. So, yeah, that was just something completely off the wall and surprising and (laughs) special. Wow. And we should say for listeners that Oz is just this brutal prison drama that aired on HBO. In, in fact, if you're a fan of Arrested Development, you might remember it as uh, the show that traumatized poor little George Michael uh, when he thought he was watching The Wizard of Oz late one night. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not really my my cup of tea, but, you know, it was <laughs> when I was trying to come up with an idea for, okay, what, what musical would be interesting to kind of <laughs> bring up? Doesn't get much more of an odd choice than that. No, certainly not. Uh, the way whoever came up with the idea, I mean, yeah, it sounds pretty crazy, uh, but also at the same time pretty smart. Because if all those guys can sing and you know they've done Broadway work, it's like, why won't I do this? It just so happens that the 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 um, situation these characters are in to sing is is an odd choice, yes. we'll say, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but you know, utilizing your cast—that's that's a pretty good idea, though. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I also did come across the news that there's apparently going to be an upcoming uh, DC crossover with Flash and Supergirl that's going to be a musical episode as well. Oh, weird. They can't do any wrong with that show. I think Supergirl is allowed to do whatever it wants to do. And do you say The Flash as well? Yeah. Those two shows make sense because they've already accepted that they're a show which is pretty cartoony. And then you look at Arrow and it's just like, no, I'm I'm trying to be serious. This is a serious superhero thing. Yep. Then you go back to Flash, and he's just like, I'm going to go through time and screw everything up. <laughs> <laughs> so why not sing while he's doing it? Yeah. No one can hear him, though. Yeah. He's <laughs> running really fast. I was like, what the heck was that? <laughs> Singing while he's running faster than the speed of sound. <laughs> I, will, I will have to say, I like how they got tired of the whole time travel thing, and they had that Flash from another world come up and go, hey, Flash, you got to stop doing this, okay? you got to stop messing with time. <laughs> wow, so that's crazy that they actually had a musical episode. That's something I was never aware of. Yeah. Wow. Okay, well, Hamish, what, what do you have for your first pick? Well, okay. But you know that tradition now where it's like, do the musical episode, and there's certain tropes that TV uh, are doing these days, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I've come up with this episode is the classic crossover, 
we all love crossovers when one character meets another character like you know supergirl and the flash meet and they all have some strange adventures which don't seem to make sense in canon with the other characters but it doesn't matter but uh, i've chosen this episode it's an animated show uh from the 90s now if you ever remember during the 90s there was a certain actor who's a physical comedian i don't know you know you might have seen him in something called let's say ace ventura <laughs> i'm talking about th- i'm talking about how ace ventura with this actor he's a physical guy and what does he work with he works in that kind of realm of your know, comedic performance uh and strangely enough he did another movie where he had a lot of comedic performancing with his body in that way if these words make sense uh physical comedy <laughs> which is called the mask right Right. Now, yeah. I mentioned two things, The Mask and Ace Ventura. These guys could never meet, or could they, in the magic of TV? Because in this animated show, The Mask, they had an episode in Series 3, Episode 9, called The Iceman Cometh, where the character of Stanley Ipkiss from The Mask, yeah, he lost his dog, uh, Milo. And so, on the TV, he sees an ad for, guess who? Ace Ventura. Wow. And then he calls him to find his dog. Now, by the way, this is... This, but the show... No, I don't know what happened in the 90s, but for some reason in the 90s, it seemed like a great idea to take mature films, like The Mask. Because The Mask itself, yeah, you could sell the kids, but had a lot of mature themes in it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Ace Ventura had a lot of mature themes, but they both had animated shows, which was bizarre. Yeah. Because I don't know who thought that was a great idea, because maybe they really want to annoy their kids. Because, I'll put it this way, those shows were just filled with catchphrases upon catchphrases. <laughs> <laughs> and the strange thing about it, it's like, it's based off Jim Carrey. So you have two separate shows, uh, The Mask Show and The Ace Ventura Show, where two separate guys uh, are doing Jim Carrey impressions. Now, this is separately. <laughs> And now, I, I, now, well, hold on. Now, I know how you, like, if you have friends who Jim, do Jim Carrey impressions, they either do them passable or bad. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, on The Mask, you have uh, Rob Paulson, if you've known, you know, great voice actor for many years. You've heard yeah, him on yeah. literally everything. He's doing a Jim Carrey impression of The Mask, while in this crossover episode, you have the other guy, uh, he's called, I think, Michael Dangerfield, doing the voice of Jim Carrey from Ace Ventura. <laughs> And now, like I said, if you like catchphrases upon catchphrases, now these are two part episodes because one episode takes place in the mask, the other episode takes place in the Ace Ventura show, uh-huh. which gets even more weird because the thing is, the animation style for both these characters, you know how they do a certain blend where they try to make the character from one show match the uh, animation style of the other show? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They didn't. They didn't do this. <laughs> they basically they basically took the caricature of Ace Ventura from his cartoon show and put him in the mask, and so there's this weird kind of sizing issue where his character doesn't really match the same size as the humanoid-looking Stanley Ipkiss character. And it just <laughs> seems really off. But it's... it's it's Because I had to watch both these episodes just to get back into the whole vibe. So episode one is is the Ace Man cometh on the mask trying to find Milo the dog. He's been stolen by this guy called... I think it's called Petritus, played by... Tim Curry, yeah. He did a lot of voice, actor, voice acting stuff. Yeah, you know, he's the voice of Nigel Thornberry. Uh-huh. So, yeah, typical voice evil character. But he stole his dog just to do some sort of weird science mind swappy thing. Remember, it's a cartoon. Makes no sense. But it gets even worse because at the end of The Mask, you instantly cross over to (laughs) Ace Ventura. And the episode is basically Ace Ventura. I don't even remember. No, I remember. It's it's The Mask. For some reason, Spike the Monkey steals The Mask from Stanley Ipkiss and just runs (laughs) off with it. 
at the end of the mask episode and then at the beginning of the ace ventura episode ace ventura is just he gets picked up by uh, nasa to go into space remember this episode's going to space by the way i didn't mention that part that's because wow. that's a logical that's a logical conclusion <laughs> for these characters <laughs> so strangely enough it's it, it's it's pretty it's pretty wild stuff but the he he gets told by nasa to go into space to find a hamster which knows the back catalog of elvis songs and Stanley Ipkiss kind of just rolls into the scene while Spike's you know, grappling with the mask. <laughs> and then they both end up in space. But the thing is, these two episodes are like back to back from one episode to another. And so it's 40 minutes of two separate Jim Carrey impressions, all based on Jim Carrey movies with a lot of Jim Carrey quotes from those films. And if you really like those quotes, good. But after about 10 minutes, I really, really had to bang my head against the table. <laughs> because... <laughs> It's it was just it's just like we all like those you know, like sparingly those quotes are great hearing those mm-hmm. little catchphrases but forty minutes because these are two twenty minute episodes you bang your head against the table going why did I even like this show or what what weird time we lived in <laughs> that's amazing yeah I remember <laughs> I remember when I was younger like you said a lot of those movies. Uh, ended up being spun into, you know, TV shows for kids like uh, Men in Black, which, you know, was PG-13, yep. uh, Dumb and mm. Dumber, uh, and what was it? Oh, Police Academy. Even before oh, yeah. that, Police Academy had its own cartoon. It's just Robocop did as well. Yeah, oh, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. Even had a live action TV show as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Robocop lasted for a while. Actually, you were just- right. Um, so when you mentioned the uh, Dumb and Dumber, that's three shows based of Jim Carrey movies. <laughs> it's weird, yeah. <laughs> I re- yeah, I, I mean, I remember the Mask and the Ace Ventura cartoons, and I, man, I bailed on those. Like, I watched one or two episodes and was just like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, even though I was like the target audience, you know, at that age, I just had no interest. You could tell right away these were not the original actors. Will Smith was not lending his voice to Men in Black. Uh, right. Jim Carrey was not playing any of these characters. I, I liked the Men in Black TV show. I I had to rework my thinking, though, which is a, I guess, confluent way of saying just ignoring the fact that these weren't based off the movie. Yeah, yeah. Right. In a weird way. Um, because the animation style is so good. You know, like, the characters, even though, you know, some of the movements were very stylized, like, it was really nicely done. I mean, it was like, you know, you see cartoon shows done now, it's like, it, they're all so they have to be a certain action figure formula, I guess you'd mm-hmm. call it, where it's like smooth and they look like, you know, you can sell them as a toy. But yeah, that show was really great. I mean, I'm glad they didn't make any toys for it and oversell it, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I- I'd watch it again. All right. So for my first pick, I- I'll start with actually a good one. This was actually a pretty great episode. It was the uh, the 20th episode of the second season of the Dick Van Dyke show. Uh, it's the episode entitled, It May Look Like a Walnut. And it originally aired on February 6th, 1963. Now, have, have any of you guys watched uh, the Dick Van Dyke show at all? I have, and I'm trying to trying to remember if I've seen this one or not. I'm remembering a lot of physical comedy. This is a bizarre one. This is really weird. This is one that I had talked about on the show before, but I loved Nick at Night growing up, so I got to watch a lot of these classic series. I watched them, like, every night before bed, and uh, I, I loved... All of these black and white shows, all of these classic TV shows. And this one freaked me out <laughs> as a little kid. And uh, I'll explain. I, I got a, just kind of a brief synopsis of what happens. For those that aren't aware, The Dick Van Dyke Show, of course, starring Dick Van Dyke. It was a classic sitcom 
basically from the golden age of television. And it was about a comedy writer named Rob Petrie. And it was about him trying to balance his, his life working for the very popular Alan Brady show, along with his suburban life where he was living with his wife, Laura, and their little son, Richie. Very, you know, quaint, nice, funny, happy family sitcom. But this episode is just so out there. Uh, it starts at night. We have Rob and Laura, they're watching a sci-fi movie about aliens from the planet Twilo invading Earth. And uh, in the film that they're watching, the Twiloites look exactly like humans, except for a pair of eyes that's hidden in the hair on the back of their heads. And uh, <laughs> their leader looks exactly like Danny Thomas, who was a very famous actor at that time. And uh, his name is Kolak, the leader of Twilo. And so the, the Twiloites plant their eggs in grocery stores, and their eggs look exactly like walnuts, hence the episode title. And they plan to enslave mankind by removing their sense of humor and their thumbs. And so, their thumbs? And their thumbs. <laughs> and, and so that's just like the wacky premise of this movie that they're watching. And uh, Laura is just too scared to watch it, and, and Rob's kind of teasing her about it. So anyway, that's the end of that beginning segment. So the next morning on his way to work, Rob looks down and he sees walnuts scattered on the living room carpet. And he's like, okay. And he thinks Laura's, you know, playing this prank on him, trying to get revenge because he was teasing her so much the night before. And, you know, Laura's like denying it as she is making his breakfast for that morning, which happens to be walnuts. And she even gives walnuts to little Richie on his way to school. So at work now, Rob sees that his uh, co-worker Buddy is eating walnuts. And Rob looks around and he keeps finding walnuts hidden all around the office. So Rob also notices that his co-workers happen to be talking about Kolak, just kind of generally bringing him up as if he's a real person. Out of the blue, Danny Thomas shows up, and Rob learns that he's scheduled to be on the show that he writes for, The Alan Brady Show. So there's so many, like, coincidences here between the, the guy that looks like the leader of the Walnut Aliens, Walnuts being hidden around the office, and Rob is like, alright, this is just a huge prank that Laura set up to be played on me because of how much I teased her that night. And so it, it's really funny, because if you're a person watching this on TV at that time, you really have no idea what's going on. You know, this is so early in the run of television as a medium, that you really don't know where this episode is going. <laughs> Rob is getting so fed up at this point, he tells him to stop, and they tell him, what's wrong, Rob? It's like you've lost your sense of humor. And Mel Cooley, who is kind of like one of the, the people that works at Rob's office, very funny character, he says, no, Laura didn't tell us to book Danny Thomas as a prank. She actually wanted us to book Kolak. So now another reference <laughs> to Kolak being real. Rob later opens a walnut, and he finds this sparkling substance inside. Uh, he's freaking out, so he goes to light a cigarette to calm down, and he notices that his thumbs are missing. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're, you're watching this episode, it's just like, what in the world is happening? So he rushes home, he opens the closet, and Laura rolls out, riding a wave of walnuts. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, you know, before the effects could be done other ways. I mean, this is real. They actually took a closet and filled it with walnuts, stuffed Mary Tyler Moore in there and did this all in one take. <laughs> <laughs> and we find out that no, this is no longer Laura. She is now Lolak the Twilo. And she does have a second set of eyes. Although that effect, they could not afford. <laughs> she kind of just shows him, look, and he freaks out. 
And so now he looks around and in his house, all of the co-workers show up walking around like zombies along with the Twilo leader, played of course by Danny Thomas. This is like really scary, uh, you know, because this is before they had dream sequences or, you know, one-off episodes like that. So, but of course the whole episode is a dream. <laughs> that's like, that's how the episode ended up. <laughs> And uh, Rob also finds out that Laura, too, had a walnut-themed dream that night. And so, yeah, kind of a dumb ending where it's like, oh, yeah, it was all a dream. But you got to remember back then, it probably was not done that much. So people were still probably kind of wondering what was really going on. And uh, that's the only reason why I bring it up, because it was weird to have this very happy family sitcom have really a a sci-fi horror episode, especially that early, like 1963. Yeah, and especially, you know, you watching it, like, as a kid or whatever, you'd be like, what is this? Yeah, very scary. And this was still, like, uh, in black and white, right? Yeah, yep. Okay, stepped out in something like, you know, ended, ended the entire episode as a Twilight Zone episode. It would have been the best crossover. It's true. <laughs> yeah, very very much taking a, kind of a spoof on the, the Twilight Zone, which was yeah. uh, running at that time. And also, if you look it up, it, it's currently holding a 9.3 out of 10 on IMDb. And in 2009, TV Guide listed It May Look Like a Walnut as the 13th greatest TV episode of all time. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> I, that, ep- that, ep- that episode is pretty, one of the best amazing. episodes that they had. The rest of it's just garbage. <laughs> well, see, I, and I, I love the Dick Van Dyke show. There are mm. some great episodes. There's one where uh, his brother shows up, who was played by Dick Van Dyke's real-life brother, Jerry Van Dyke, uh, who people may also remember from that show, Coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, he shows up as this guy who's really drab and boring. And all of a sudden, in the at night, he comes out of his room and he starts playing the guitar and he's like the life of the party and everybody loves him. And the next morning, he's just drab and boring. And they find out that he sleepwalks. Yeah, I, I've seen that one. That, that yeah. is a good episode. <laughs> so there's some great episodes in there. He sleepwalks. He becomes a great happening guy. That makes a yeah. lot of sense. I think that's science. That's, that's psychology, I believe. I mean, we all do that. <laughs> I wish. We don't know, actually. We might all be recording this in our sleep. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kevin, what do you got for your second pick? All right. So for my second pick, uh, I have an episode of the G.I. Joe animated series titled The Viper is Coming. Uh, Now, this aired October 25th, 1985. It's a Sunbow Productions, and it was written by David Bennett Karen. Now, this one I picked because not necessarily special because it changed you know styles for the show but i picked this one because it was very memorable to me as a kid and i'll get into why it was so memorable (laughs) as we go all right so the episode opens up with the joes uh having a party at i like a renovated firehouse or something like that (laughs) and uh barbecues there cooking food of course and snake eyes is dancing or something ridiculous (laughs) uh (laughs) Alpine and Footloose are climbing ropes. Uh, let's see. Uh, <laughs> Roadblock happens to fall out a window while he's playing basketball. And, uh, <laughs> so, you know, the episode's kind of starting off just kind of like all this goofy stuff going on. And Barbecue says, well, I guess I don't need to have that window cleaned anymore. Uh, so <laughs> basically <laughs> just stuff's happening. People are falling and crashing into each other uh food goes flying in the air and hits scarlet and barbecue declares this party is a success (laughs) (laughs) so right off the bat it's just this goofy you know kind of slapstick like okay isn't this usually how they kind of end the episode you know (laughs) Mm. like just 
buddy-buddy thing. So suddenly the phone rings and a mysterious voice declares, The Viper is coming, 575. The Joes decide, mm. you know, this it's got to be a coded message from Cobra. And so they all grab a hamburger before <laughs> heading out <laughs> to the base. <laughs> so they, they decide 575 have to be coordinates. So they're trying to figure out where it could possibly be. And they decide South Pole. That seems like a likely place for, for a Cobra base to be. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so the Joes head down to the South Pole, but find nothing. So... While they're there, you know, Alpine decides, oh, well, I'm just going to pick up a rock and bring it back as a souvenir so that the trip wasn't a total waste. (laughs) You know, like you do. Sure. (laughs) But wouldn't you know it, he picks up the rock and it activates a trap door (laughs) that lowers an elevator into Cobra Recreational Base Number 3. (laughs) They're immediately (laughs) met by... So they're immediately met by a robot who greets them at the door and lets them know they can play ping pong, they can swim, they can check out the Cobra Cuties at Zartan's Entertainment Center. (laughs) (laughs) And the robot says, no tipping, please. Wow. (laughs) So the Joes are immediately surrounded. There's, you know, a, a quick battle and backup arrives and Cobra immediately surrenders. So they think it's a little odd that, you know, Cobra would kind of give them this, you know, tip that they've got a base and then immediately surrender. So they, one of the Cobras remarks, oh, we'd never tell the Joes anything. You guys, you guys are such spoil sports. <laughs> so the, the Joes back at, you know, the fire station are hanging out and the phone rings again. So barbecue answers and it's another message from the Viper and he says, I will start at the west corner. So <laughs> Scarlet <laughs> figures west corner must be West Point. <laughs> sure. So they, you know, they're obviously planning on attacking West Point. So the the Joes go off and sure enough, they discover Cobra's attempting to capture a bunch of high-ranking officials. <laughs> and uh, the Joes once again thwart the plot and save the day. But wait, the phone rings again. <laughs> <laughs> And we were told the Viper will start at the top floor. So that obviously means they're going to be attacking the tallest building in the world, right? Sure. So, <laughs> so meanwhile, Destro, Major Blood, Tomax, and Zamot, they're all arguing, trying to figure out who the Viper is that keeps giving away the Joes their location. <laughs> Joes happen to show up at the tower, and sure enough, it's another Cobra hideout. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, of all the dumb luck, right? (laughs) So once again, they overtake uh, Cobra, and once again, they're baffled that nobody seems to know who the Viper is, not even Cobra. So so while they're trying to figure out what to do, they're waiting by the phone. Sure enough, phone rings again. The Viper says he will be there at noon, so be ready. So the Joes all gather, and they fortify the firehouse, and clock strikes noon, and they suddenly see an ominous figure approaching. And as he gets closer, they see an old man who asks for Mr. Barbecue. And he says, I am the Viper. I've come to vipe your windows. 5.75 an hour. I start on West Corner, top floor. (laughs) And the Joes start laughing, and the episode ends. What? (laughs) (laughs) So wait a minute. They just happen to interpret these clues and be right every time? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> so, so hang on, wait, wait. So the viper, the wiper, is calling them. Yes, it's an old man calling them to basically <laughs> confirm that he's coming to clean the windows at the renovated fire station. <laughs> wait, so wait, there was no J.I. Joe guy who's like, hey, um, I put a call in earlier to a guy who does like you know window cleaning. Is he called? <laughs> like, just no one. Like every time they go, all right. Another coordinate. Let's get out of here. And like the other yeah. guy, one of the Joes walks in and goes, where's everyone going? I, okay, does anyone get a phone call? I heard a phone go off. I'm trying to get a call for a window cleaner. <laughs> Why does everyone keep walking away from me? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, you know, the episode's called The Viper is Coming. And there's that line mm. at the beginning where Barbecue says, well, I guess I don't have to get that window cleaned all right anymore. Yeah. Mm. Even, you know, at a young age, I went, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you know the phone rings and you hear Z Viper is coming, and I'm like, okay, with you know that accent, he's mm. he's saying the wiper. So this <laughs> yeah. whole episode, I'm watching this, you know, as a little kid, just going, this is the stupidest thing ever. It's gonna be a guy coming to clean the window that they broke. Oh man! <laughs> and sure enough, it was. Yeah, it, it, every time the phone rings, they stumble into some cobra plot. <laughs> stupidest episode like yeah. i just oh <laughs> like does a guy just like pick up the phone and just say these things just say oh excuse me you made a call earlier it's just like he just keeps talking in segments yep. like from from a previous conversation it's like me calling someone and telling him i'm gonna meet them somewhere like at five o'clock on the corner of somewhere in melbourne and i just say those things separately but i call right. them to separately split it up into five calls <laughs> yeah <laughs> i go like 5 p.m then hang up. It's like what? Yep. What? That, that and ta- is talking crazy. about yourself in the third person too. It's like right, right. Your friend <laughs> is arriving, and it's before caller ID, so you'd have no clue who it was. You know. <laughs> so the real villain here is the lack of caller ID. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was kind of curious because I was like, okay, did this guy write other episodes? And sure enough, he he wrote a handful of other you know episodes that were actually halfway decent ones. So I I don't know what the deal was with this one. It's a Friday afternoon draft, I guess. Yeah. Wow, that's but yeah, really so that cool. one that one was special because even you know to me as a little kid i was like this this is garbage what is this <laughs> <laughs> oh man wow that's a great one all right hamish what do you got for your second pick well strangely enough my second pick kind of works in with uh, the gi joe theme because uh uh my pick's from an episode of transformers oh nice this is from, this is from city of steel now actually uh side note uh you might remember an episode of transformers i think it was in like uh the second generation or so Maybe. Uh, they actually had Cobra Commander appear on uh, the episode of Transformers called yep. I think, Only Human. <laughs> There's another crossover for you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, my episode's called City of Steel. Uh, it was from uh, October 17, uh, 1985. Uh, it was written by Douglas Booth. Uh, this episode takes place in New York. Uh, and so you'll find the Decepticons there. They're leveling, they're basically digging underground and they basically steal the Empire State Building by drawing <laughs> underground. So, the the team of Autobots go, well, this is kind of crazy, and they all go to New York to figure out what's going on. And so, while they're fighting, the Constructicons are underneath Optimus Prime, and they go, we're underneath the leader. And they dig, and they drop him into a hole, and basically kidnap him. Because they, I think Megatron shoots him with some sort of freezing, it's not like a freeze beam, it's kind of like, stops him from moving. That's okay. the gist of it, it's just kind of like a beam that stops him from moving. But since they've got him, 
they're like, well, and this is where it gets strange because characters live and die in these shows. And I don't know what death means to Transformers, but what happens is Megatron has, you know, Optimus Prime, and then he's like, do you know what? Let's just dismantle him. And they take him apart. So you have a scene where one of the Constructicons has, like, I think it's like a blade, and he just starts taking apart Optimus Prime, and then he says, do whatever you like with the pieces. So, they can, like, they've taken, they've literally, like, they've pulled him apart. He's just a pile <laughs> oh, of pieces. And if you remember in the, the movie, he gets shot and he dramatically dies. Yep. In this, he's literally just their head. Because, like, Megatron gets ahead, turns it on, and he just uses it to gloat. And goes, ha, I, you know, I've, I've won. And he's like, you'll never win. And then Octus Prime's like, you'll never win. I'll still fight. Even though he has no body at all. <laughs> and so, like, the, he says, he tells Constructicons to do whatever you like the pieces and throw them away. And so they decide, hey, do you want know a great idea? Let's turn it into something else. And then they take his arm for some other reason. Because, like, we have his arm and it's holding the gun. Let's work out something to do with this. So the Autobots are going, where's the leader? We've got to find him. So they track him back to the location because they're trying to turn, uh, the Decepticons are trying to turn New York into new Cybertron. This is the whole gist. They're taking buildings, they're, you know, transforming him, re- uh, raising him back up. Like the Empire State Building gets turned into some new tower, like Cybertronian tower. Uh, and, and they've upgraded it in a certain way. So the Autobots are looking for their leader and they're looking to track her and they're underground in the sewers and like, wait. He's, he's in front of us now, he's behind us, and look behind him, and what they've done is taken parts of Octus Prime and turned him into an alligator. <laughs> For no, I don't know why, but like the, the constructor corns thought this was a great idea. It's like, yeah, let's just take these extra pieces and turn them into uh, an alligator. So, wow. so, the auto, so the Autobots are like, what? Because they're confused, they can attract their leader down. Obviously, they would destroy these things. Like, you know, they're like, oh, it's alligator, let's destroy it, which you know, would mean that Octus Prime's body is completely gone mm. but i think they put they put it into a a railway cart and they just t- tell it to there they throw it down a, they just let it roll away basically <laughs> and so yeah the autobots uh, <laughs> the autobots are walking through a sewer trying to find their leader they finally find i think Optimus prime's head then they realize oh he, his body is this his body's been turned into an alligator and they piece it back together but they haven't got the arm they can't find the arm, and you know he's he's walking around. He's got he's got one arm, but no gun. Not yeah, you know, not the good arm with the gun. And so they're looking around for it. And what happened is like, <laughs> well, they've been upgrading the city to be new Cybertron on top of the tower. <laughs> this is I don't know why this is seems like it'd be a, a great plan, but on top of the Empire State Building, which is now a Cybertronian tower, is Octus Prime's arm holding his gun. It's it's that's it. That's it. That's it's just the arm. But it's on top of a, a, a building, and it's holding his gun and just firing wildly, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, it's under control by Megatron, who's like, you know, gloating over this, going, you know, acting like this is his most superior weapon. It's like an arm that's just connected to a building. And so, like, was it the Autobots have to climb up? And I think, is it Ironhide or one of the characters mentions it's kind of like uh, King Kong? Because I think Ratchet has, like, these little <laughs> airplanes which he uses to try and a- attack the Decepticons or try and get the arm down. Uh, there's even a scene where, was it? They're, they're being attacked by some Decepticons. And even though Octus Prime, he, he has one arm, he says he can still transform and roll out. 
and just basically drives into these guys. And it doesn't make sense because, like, don't you need that part to transform? That's the side of your body, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. That'd be, like, the side of the front cab, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. I-, I think his line was, like, even though I don't have a weapon, I can still roll out. And it's like, you have a, you have your other arm. Can't you do anything <laughs> with your other arm? Like, give him a gun. Yeah, yeah. And it... It's it's strange because like the like assumedly in this entire episode I've seen Octus Prime get dismantled more or less I'd say dead I don't know how life or death works in a Transformers universe but yeah, when you're right. just a, when you're just ahead you should be dead right I mean it's so confusing but at the end of the episode yeah they save Octus Prime they put him back together they get his arm back they stop the evil plot and then Bumblebee drives off with this new sticker saying I love New York because obviously that's <laughs> that's what you buy when you're in New York that's you buy yep. those stickers. But yeah, when I saw this episode, it's like, because I remember seeing the cartoon, uh, the movie, and you, you see Optimus Prime dramatically die, and then you see um, Ultra Magnus also get torn apart, and then put back together by the Junkticons. And it's like, okay, so Optimus Prime died in the movie, but he's been taken apart in the TV show and reassembled. I don't know how, why didn't they do that in the movie and just reassemble him? I, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> but that's it. It's like the, the leader of the Decepticons, Megatron, is like, he's he's won. He's finally won, but he decides to gloat and just... I. It's just like, shouldn't that be it? Like, he's, he's, he's won. He's killed the leader. That's it. Right, right. He's, he's did yeah. the, he did one thing that he's more or less trying to do the entire time is, you know, destroy the Autobots leader and then be the leader. I don't know where the, you know, the, the Matrix of Leadership went when they took him apart. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> but yeah, it's just it's just interesting for that one scene at the end, near the end um, with Optimus Prime's arm just basically wildly firing while Megatron's controlling it. it, it it's like it's like I don't know how he thought that was victory. They have giant robot guys, like you know, they have cities like Metroplex and you know the what was it Combaticons and stuff. They all come together to make a giant robot. But apparently, the best weapon anyone could use is a is, is a remote controlled arm connected to a building. <laughs> <laughs> It never made sense to me. It just seemed like the weirdest image. That is strange. <laughs> That's very funny. And hmm. You said that was October 17th, 1985? Yeah, October 17th, 1985, uh, written so, by so Doug, Douglas Booth. That, <laughs> the week before the Viper came. Wow. <laughs> that, what, a, what a great time. Yeah, what a great time yeah. for bizarre episodes. The but golden yeah, age of cartoons. <laughs> yeah, and talking about the uh, the Transformers movie with, with him dying, they yeah. actually rewrote the G.I. Joe movie because originally they uh, killed off Duke in the cartoon, but because of the backlash of Optimus Prime's death, <laughs> they changed it so that uh, Duke was just in a coma. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I, and I also brought back uh, Optimus Prime. They they had in an episode, I think, of Generation 2, mm-hmm. they had um, the mausoleum in space or something like that, and they met Optimus Prime, who was all busted up, and he came back alive, practically like a zombie. And then he was, <laughs> and then for some reason he decides to crash the, the space mausoleum for the Generation 1 Autobots into a, into a sun. But then for some reason, I think in later on, he, he came back alive. Like, aliens found his floating body in space and made him alive again, <laughs> because people liked Optimus Prime that much. <laughs> wow. Yeah, of course you can't get rid of him. No, and in the I think in the GI Joe movie, Cobra Commander it ends with Cobra Commander being turned into a snake, but then he's back to his normal self <laughs> when you get back to the TV show. So I don't know. Mm. It wears off after a while, you know. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> Here's my second pick. Uh, th- this one is just bizarre. Uh, now, are you guys familiar with News Radio? 
Did you ever watch it? Yep. Yep. I loved News Radio. Such a great, funny sitcom. Uh, it, it was about the staff, for those of you that aren't familiar, it was about the staff at a, a New York City radio station. It was uh, WNYX. It was an AM news radio station. This series was so great. It had all kinds of amazing comedic actors like Dave Foley, previously from Kids in the Hall, and Phil Hartman from SNL, and a host of other things. So funny. And you just look at some of the cast and what, you know, they've gone on to do. Like, uh, you know, Stephen Root is in a lot of movies, and uh, Andy Dick had a, a comedic career, and Joe Rogan. And so there, there was a lot of people. Even uh, Ray Romano was going to play uh, Joe, who you know, Joe Rogan's character, but after the pilot, they decided to go elsewhere. But there was a lot of star power on this show. I loved uh, news radio. So every week, you know, there was some sort of humorous story centered around the daily goings-on at the station. A lot of time, it was centered around, uh, you know, Stephen Root's character, Jimmy James. He was kind of the uh, the billionaire owner of the station and always had something crazy going on. But uh, viewers tuning in on the night of May 12th, 1998... For the news radio season four finale, saw something quite different, and this was an episode entitled "Sinking Ship." Are you guys familiar with this? No. Is this a Titanic episode? It is. It is. <laughs> oh, the race. The radio station itself was <laughs> the Titanic, with the WNYX staff as its passengers on that fateful night of April fourteenth, nineteen twelve. Uh, now, this oh, uh, episode man. was directed by Tom Sharones, uh, teleplay by Joe Fury, Brian Kelly, who works for The Simpsons now, uh, Josh Lieb, and Sam Johnson, with story credits given to Chris Marshall, Lou Morton, Drake Sather, and Paul Sims. Now, just a, a little background of the story here. At this point of the run of the show, this was uh, the very end of season four, the season four finale. By now, the ratings were slipping. And the creators of the show kind of use this as a not-so-subtle comment on uh, its current state. And uh, it was quite likely going to be the, the finale of the series, so they decided, hey, let's go all out, you know. Basically, NBC at this time really didn't appreciate what they had in news radio, and the ratings were slipping, and they just figured, well, this whole show was pretty much a sinking ship. And of course... You know, this was, like I said, May 1998, so, I mean, very recently at this time, we had the huge feature film Titanic, so it very much played on the story of that movie Titanic, while punishing NBC's lack of appreciation with a ridiculous amount of reworked sets and special effects. For example, they completely flooded the break room. You know, I mean, real water, <laughs> shooting out of elevators and going down hallways, uh, this it was amazing what they did, you know, like they had, um, antique typewriters on all the desks, you know, for example, as a way of uh, making it look older, but had a completely redone set. Now, uh, what was interesting too about this is that it was one of two episodes that broke the normal reality of the show. The other was uh, a space episode in which the, uh, the radio station was a spaceship. And uh, this this episode, it started and ended with host segments featuring Phil Hartman, and he was kind of like behind the scenes on the set of the show. You can see like cameras and crew members behind him with a green screen, and he was just kind of introducing the show, making fun of the show's creators, calling the show crap, uh, saying that this episode has a, a budget of over $200 and, you know, enjoy the show. And <laughs> it was so weird. The opening sequence 
was lockets covered in dirt and uh, they're spraying water on them. It kind of like, you know, uh, you'd see in Titanic where they're trying to clean artifacts from the wreckage. Mm. And so all of these lockets feature antique photos of the uh, the cast of news radio. Instead of our regular upbeat news radio theme, we have like an Irish fiddle rendition. <laughs> it's like almost a sepia tone type of thing. And uh, it, it was really weird because, you know, it we know what happened to the Titanic. So something very similar happened to the radio station here. And all of the characters drowned in this episode, except for Andy Dick and Phil Hartman's characters, uh, Matthew and Bill. Huh. Uh, we even see uh, Jimmy James <laughs> dead. We see his dead corpse floating by as kind of a joke. We're like, oh, hey, Mr. <laughs> James. Uh, no, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> there was a scene very reminiscent of the movie towards the end where uh, Lisa is kind of like on a large floating chunk of wood in the water with Dave hanging off the side. And, you know, he, of course, dies like Leonardo DiCaprio's character. And so <laughs> Matthew and Bill show up. And now the three of them are sitting on this chunk of wood. And uh, Matthew <laughs> Matthew looks over at Lisa and he's like, oh, two dudes and one chick. You know, he's like, I like my odds or something to that effect. Hmm. And uh, Lisa's like, all right, well, you know, I think I'm going to swim for New York. You know, and then she just kind of like falls backwards off the wood voluntarily and uh, just leaving, <laughs> just leaving uh, <laughs> Matthew and Bill as the only two survivors of the, uh, the wreckage of WNYX. And uh, even weirder than just the whole concept was that this was Phil Hartman's last episode. And uh, he sadly died only two weeks after this aired. So they went from this really kind of goofy ending, like, yeah, let's sink this ship. Let's go all out to now all of a sudden Phil Hartman dies. And oh yeah, you got renewed for a fifth season. Mm. So they came back and it's like, uh, okay, well now, uh, Another very special episode of News Radio, and it's them reacting to the death of Bill McNeil, and in a sense, in reality, Phil Hartman. Very sad. They, they had a really lackluster fifth and final season, and John Lovitz joined the cast at that point. And uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was the end of News Radio, but unfortunately, uh, you know, a great show, and Bill McNeil, a very funny character, very humorously portrayed by the great Phil Hartman. But, uh, yeah, what a way to end things like that. Hmm. Not my favorite episode, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a downer. Uh, yeah. You know, for when the reality kind of sneaks in there. But, um, yeah, at least they, like, for creativity, I mean, like, I don't know how they kind of sold, who, who they sold the idea on going, basically, it's, uh, the radio station is a ship. Yeah. Like, how'd they get that across to anybody going, okay, sure, it's a ship. Or, when it, was it before, it was a spaceship as well. Yeah. And not only is it a ship, we're going to destroy the set by flooding it. <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> yeah, unbelievable. And it had to be because of that movie. That's probably the only way they could sell it is, yeah, you remember how big the movie was last summer, right? Well, let's do a whole episode like that. Oh, okay. Mm. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, you'd never see Frasier do something like that. <laughs> all right so what do you got for your final pick kevin all right so my third choice uh is an episode of wonder woman called galt's brain it's from uh season three episode 12 uh this originally aired on december 29th 1978 uh it was written by arthur weingarten and john gainer and directed by gordon hessier hessier hesher i'm 
not sure how to pronounce it. So the episode starts off with uh, fire apparently has destroyed a building at Galt Industries. And uh, this is not the first time something mysterious has happened to the company. (laughs) Apparently, the founder has died and then all these mysterious accidents started happening. The current company president, Brandon Stryker, isn't interested in uh, helping out Diana Prince and the IADC solve the mystery of uh, all these random fires and bizarre events that are going on. And at the funeral for Galt, we see Galt is there in the coffin and has a mysterious lobotomy scar. We see a security (laughs) camera observing people mourning and a mysterious voice overdubbed saying, look at them, the hypocritical fools. And you hear kind of a ventilator and a heartbeat, you know, kind of like Darth Vader type breathing. (laughs) (laughs) They're all secretly pleased to see Galt dead, but I'm not dead, am I? And then the curtain pulls back and they (laughs) reveal a wheelchair with like a large jar containing a brain floating in water (laughs) (laughs) with an antenna and a big googly eye on the top. Oh my goodness. Wow. (laughs) So, so yeah, when I first saw this, you know, it was, you know, obviously a rerun because this aired before I was born, but definitely one of those, you know, like, like you, I was a fan of Nick at night and catching up on you know retro shows and stuff like that yeah so i saw this and it was just like oh this is gonna be great <laughs> <laughs> so that's why i wanted to pick this one just because another memorable episode from when i was a kid wow so, <laughs> so the brain declares i'm invincible and then lets out an evil laugh <laughs> <laughs> And then we get the classic, you know, theme song and introduction. And uh, we see John Carradine is uh, playing Galt. So so Galt's brain is seen speed reading War and Peace on uh, an electronic typewriter that has apparently a uh, color TV screen inside of it. So you just see the book and the pages turning. Uh, He also (laughs) reveals that he has the power of telekinesis. By uh, moving a remote control and opening curtains and turning on lights. It's very spooky. (laughs) (laughs) They actually call it uh, psychokinesis in this. Uh, (laughs) So we learn that uh, they have a plan to put this brain inside of a new body. And uh, this goon named Turk enters and delivers the news that the IADC is investigating. And uh, the brain says... That's good news. And then orders them to kill Diana and lets out yet another evil laugh. <laughs> and where is it laughing from? I I don't know. There must have been like a speaker or something like in like the ventilator portion or something. I, or or it's just, you know, like they can just hear the voice or something. I, I don't know. Sure, sure. Why not? Uh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> the, that the scene between, you know, Turk in the brain is just it's the pacing on it is incredible I'll have to send you guys you know just that segment of it because it's he comes in and delivers his lines and it's just long pause slow delivery you know dumb goon type thing (laughs) and he's being out acted by the prop of the brain 
<laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> it's it's amazing. It's just oh, it, it's it's like a minute long scene and it probably should only take about 20 25 seconds. All right. So after <laughs> Sounds the... like a great villain, I got to say. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Why yep. why did they put Very him in memorable. the new movie? Put him in the new movie. Sounds great. He might be. He oh, might that be. Would be we awesome. Don't know. <laughs> oh, I'd go see it. <laughs> For that. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh god. <laughs> so Galt's assistant uh, is apparently trying to lure this Olympic decathlon uh, contestant named Morton Danzig uh, to the estate by saying that they want him to run the gym there, <laughs> which <laughs> we're watching this. And <laughs> every time, you know, they say his name, you know, they'd say Danzig. <laughs> My wife's just over there going, mother. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> so Diana arrives at Stryker's office via taxi cab and Stryker refuses to cooperate again. And uh, while this is going on, the, that goon Turk has uh, stolen the cab. Diane comes out of the building, gets in, and uh, Turk puts on a gas mask and apparently sets off some knockout gas. And, you know, next thing you see is uh, Turk and a couple other guys in a pickup truck no idea where the truck came from or anything like that, but they're in a pickup truck at a bridge with a large wooden barrel in the back. <laughs> so we see that Diana's trapped inside and they pick it up and toss it over the railing into the pond. And, you know, they figure she's, there's no way she's going to escape. So they all, they all take off. <laughs> and there's a shot of the barrel sinking at a comedically fast rate. It just, it sinks like a stone. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's at the surface kind of like slowly. And then as soon as it goes under and they cut to the other camera angle, it's just like plummets to the bottom. It's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> so just as the, the wooden barrel hits the bottom, there's a flash of light. Diana flies out of the water in a Wonder Woman wetsuit. <laughs> <laughs> complete with like a hood well <laughs> you know luckily she happened to be wearing you know a wetsuit <laughs> sure sure <laughs> you know <laughs> so, so back at the iadc diana uh talks to steve trevor uh, uh about what happened and little robot shows up to give the <laughs> gives a little like roadrunner meep, meep. <laughs> <laughs> and it delivers a file to them <laughs> they don't really learn anything uh other than the identity of turk so <laughs> back at the estate there's a lot of back and forth in this episode you know like real short scenes in one spot and then jump back to another spot so so <laughs> back at the estate danzig arrives and they begin testing him and then uh diana arrives and she's looking for turk galt says bring her in i'll take care of the rest so you know they they bring her in and She's uh, questioning the assistant about Turk. And uh, meanwhile, the brain uh, uses his power to bring a suit of armor to life. And it sneaks up behind her, swinging an axe at her and just narrowly misses her. So <laughs> and she says, I could have sworn Lancelot was stuffed in the corner when I arrived, but no harm done. I have a theory. Ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So back at the IADC, they're sure that Morton Danzig, the uh, decathlete, is in trouble, but they just don't know why. Back at a gun range, the, the guy who's now in charge of Galt Industries is skeet shooting. And Wonder Woman leaps up, grabs a clay pigeon, 
then puts the lasso of truth around him, starts questioning him. And she learns that the person who's set to take over the company uh, from him, the, uh, oh yeah, apparently there was someone who was like buying up the stock or something like that. But it turns out that person doesn't actually exist. So Wonder Woman says, ghosts, and then decides <laughs> to try. <laughs> yep. <laughs> then she decides she's going to try skeet shooting by throwing bullets at the clay pigeons. Because... Wow. It's much more sporting that way, she says. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, meanwhile, Danzig is still being tested, you know, and showing that he's in amazing physical health. And back at the IADC, they discovered that Danzig's transcripts from college are being altered. And his grades are being improved and his major is being changed from phys ed to business, which they think is very odd. You know, why would someone be doing that? Hmm. So... Back over at Galtz, we see uh, that Morton has passed all their tests and they're prepping him for the transplant. St Steve Trevor then arrives looking for Morton. And while he's questioning uh, Danzig about the, the tampering to his transcripts and, you know, the crazy high salary that they're offering him to, to run the gym, he's just like, I, I don't know. And <laughs> he ends up, you know, you kind of get the feeling that he's going to get attacked by the, the suit of armor or something like that. But nope. Nothing happens. So Steve Trevor leaves and heads over to the university, I think, uh, where he runs into Turk and uh, another goon. So <laughs> there's a, you know, a brief chase and they eventually catch the goon and Turk escapes. So all, meanwhile, all, you know, all this is going on and, and, you know, the dumb jock guys starting to realize maybe something isn't quite right, <laughs> you know, making like a thousand dollars for I forget if it was, you know, a week or a month or whatever to, to run this gym doesn't quite make sense. And then he decides to make a run for it and unsuccessfully runs into to, uh, the Galt who has the uh, suit of armor corner him while the rest of his goons catch him. And uh, they get ready to start the surgery. Surgery begins. And of course, Wonder Woman arrives. Uh, she evades security, tosses Turk into the pool and... Uh, <laughs> And then Galt starts using his powers and starts throwing different objects around the room <laughs> at Wonder Woman, <laughs> like fire extinguishers, weights. And like, so she picks up you know, like these weights and she's swinging them around, like knocking all the other stuff out of the way as like the saw is coming down to, you know, saw into Danzig's head. <laughs> she saves the day by throwing her tiara across the room and just happens to stop the blade that was going to lobotomize him. Wow. Meanwhile, the brain escapes. <laughs> and they, <laughs> the doctor and, you know, a bunch of guys like wheel him out into a van and they take off. And as the episode ends, we see that, you know, Danzig is exiting the building with a curly blonde woman's wig on. <laughs> And he says, it was the best I could do. What? <laughs> Diana laughs and says, she thinks it's kind of cute. The end. Oh my goodness. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So he, he was apparently so self-conscious, you know, about the fact that they had shaved his head that he <laughs> decided to wear like this woman's wig. <laughs> And so evil wins at the end as the the brain gets away. Yeah, the brain gets away, but, you know, he doesn't get put in a new body. Do but we ever I, see the brain again in this series? I think, I don't know. I He may be in one other episode. I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> <on that. laughs> wow. But, but the thing they talk about in the beginning is it's because he doesn't have a body 
you know, that's holding him back, you know, his brain doesn't have to control the body. So that's why he's able to develop these powers. But then they're talking about putting him in a body, which would cause him to lose those powers, I'd imagine. Yeah. You would think. Yeah. <laughs> based on their own logic that they've set up here. Right. What? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so funny note from this is the the doctor who's going to perform the surgery is uh, Peter Mark Richman, who he's been in, you know, a, a million things. But he was actually Adam Chance in uh, Agent for Harm, which was on Mystery Science Theater. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Things didn't get much better. Yeah. So, yeah, this was just a crazy, crazy episode with, you know, like a whole, <laughs> whole lot of stuff going on. And then just ends with this, this goofy scene with the wig. Yeah, that's so weird. Someone must have said, you know, like, you got to put a joke in here at the end or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's jokes, you know, kind of throughout the episode. But yeah, just it just kind of ends on this. Oh, that's funny. Ha ha. The end. Yeah, why end on that? <laughs> it's like the best they got. It's like, well, wait, I don't know. What, what else are we supposed to say after that? Yeah. Well, what was the line again that he says? It's the best I could do. Yeah, that's probably what the writer said. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then Diana says, oh, that's kind of cute, which is probably <laughs> the reaction to the script. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cute. You tried. Yeah. That's <laughs> this, great. This episode, I, the G.I. Joe one I talked about, I do not, you know, recommend watching because it was just so dumb. Mm. This one is kind of dumb, but definitely worth watching. <laughs> All right, Hamish, what do you have for your final pick? Okay. Well, I seem to be on like a theme of cartoons. My final pick is from the TV show Batman Brave and the Bold, if we all remember that TV show. It was a fun take on it was a fun take on Batman. I mean, this is still during the time where we had like a dark, brooding kind of Christian Bailey Batman. And this yep. show was like the antidote to it. It was literally the entire show was a love letter to Batman and the entire concept of what he was. Like, they took stories that you'd never see done in other TV shows. Like, there's an episode where, you know, Superman's affected by red kryptonite and becomes wants to become king of the world. But the show was basically like that. It picked the most obscure comic books from Batman's history and actually turned them into episodes. Um, they had a musical episode too, didn't they? Yes, they did. They had one of the... Uh, yeah, the, the Music it? Meister or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, Music Meister. Uh, was it Neil Patrick Harris did that? Yep, that's correct. And you actually get to hear yeah. Batman, Batman sing, in a way. Nice. Um, yeah, and that's the thing. The, the, the show was just fun and light, and from the creators, it was basically like a continuation of the 60s Batman. Because the music had the same tone, the suit looked like the exact same suit from the TV show, maybe a little bit lighter. And yeah, the show had that kind of fun vibe to it. But there's one episode which I was focusing on, and this is the final episode of the show, where it's the most meta episode... And completely deconstructs the entire show. The episode's called Mightfall. It's the final episode of the series. It's uh, Series 3, Episode 13. And usually each, each episode of Batman Brave and the Bold has a teaser. By the way, this episode was written by Paul Dini. Yeah, classic Batman writer. You've seen his work before. He helped put together the uh, Arkham stories for Arkham Asylum and the Arkham City for mm -hmm. those games. This was released in November 11th, 2011. But yeah, each episode has a, a teaser before it, like a small little fun adventure. And this one has basically Batman saving Abraham Lincoln from being shot by John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> <laughs> but it gets better than that because Batman flips him over the... What do you call it that when you're in the theater? The uh, balcony? Oh, 
balcony or the box. Um, yeah. it th- throws them over the <laughs> over the box, and you know, uh, really Abraham cool. Lincoln- <laughs> yeah, a- a- Abraham Lincoln's Abraham Lincoln's like, well, thanks, sir. Who are you? And he's like, just a lifelong fan. And then, and this is where it gets even more crazy. John Wilkes Booth has some sort of steampunk robot suit underneath his outfit, <laughs> which which transforms, and so it's like firing. Like, it has like arms, arms, and you know, all steam coming out. Like, yeah, steampunk robot. And you know, Batman <laughs> decides to fight it along with Abraham Lincoln, and they finally defeat the robot and it explodes. It's all Obama. <laughs> then, you know, it's it's that, that kind of show. And so the episode <laughs> that's the opening teaser before the credits. Yeah, you know, if that gives you any tone, if you've ever seen the show, wow. they they basically decide, why not? Let's have Batman fight with Abraham Lincoln. So that's the opening credits, and it cuts to the show, where it has basically it looks like a, a stand episode of the show. But what happens in this one is at the beginning of it, you have Batmite watching the show, watching Batman Brave and the Bold. You know, this is where he starts getting meta because mm-hmm. he's watching a show, and he's this character. If you ever seen Batmite, he's a character who's like from I think the fifth dimension, and he's seems magic, but it's mostly because his technology from the future is so advanced it seems like magic, assumedly. He's 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 a little bit hard to describe <laughs> because his character is just out there. Anyway, he's 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 watching the show, and he's just not into it anymore. Like he's a fan of the show, and he's popped up from time to time throughout the series, but he's just gotten tired of it. He's just gotten tired of the you know campiness, the characters doing the team up, and he wants to change. And so he has these powers, these reality warping powers. So he decides, do you know what? I'm going to make the show really bad. I'm going to turn it into the worst thing ever, so it gets cancelled. And the thing <laughs> is. You know, he has his power, so he decides, what are the things that people don't like? I know. And so he decides to change the story of Batman and give him a family. So <laughs> it cuts to Batman in the Batcave, and he's got his wife and his child. <laughs> While he's on the Batcomputer, his child is called Kiki. <laughs> he's, he seems to be happy with these kids. But, you know, he's, he's got his child called Kiki who runs up to him and, you know, tries to hug him and mess around with him. And he says, like, please, Kiki, daddy is trying to work. <laughs> Which is weird for for Batman to say this, and he get, and he he decides yeah he gives him wife and family and there's this whole story with Batman fighting Gorilla Grodd you know he's trying to stop the city from being overrun by uh, Gorilla Grodd's men more or less it's it's like this subplot which doesn't really come together but it's just there to keep some sort of story going uh, yeah. within within Batman's universe on the outside Batmite's messing with everything but on the inside there's a real thing going on even Batmite says uh, that. Batman doesn't know his reality is being changed. So Batman's still acting like, you know, himself, but he doesn't know things are changing. Like, now he has a wife and a kid, and he's in his Batcave, and he's just about to go off and fight Gorilla Grodd when <laughs> Batmite decides, what else do people hate? What do kids really hate? Oh, I know, when companies try and force their toy products into the episode. And so Batman goes off and goes, all right, I gotta fight Gorilla Grodd in my new Batluge. <laughs> <laughs> it's, his, it's his neon-talking Super Street Batluge. <laughs> and so he runs off to his pod, gets into it, and the Batluge actually talks <laughs> in this robotic voice, uh, saying, let's get low and let's go. <laughs> and so he fires out of the Batcave in this street luge, in this new Bat outfit, which has like, you know, fire stripes and everything on it, and just looks terrible because he's doing everything he can just to break the show. And then it's now changed because now they're fighting in the city against Gorilla Grodd. And now Aquaman's still there. From the previous scene when they're fighting on water, now they're fighting on land. But Batmite goes, you know what? I need to do even more. I need to change something. What else would make this even worse? I know. I'll change the voice of Aquaman 
to Ted McGinley. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Ted McGinley from Married with Children. And then this is a reference I don't think kids are going to understand. No, no. <laughs> So, I mean, if you know um, anything about Ted McGinley, it seems to be he seems to be the guy that if you hire him on your show, your show is going to be cancelled. It's during that period where your show is going through a kind of transformation, like when he appeared on Happy Days, and you know, you, you really didn't have, you know, was it Richie wasn't in the Richie wasn't in the series when he turned up, so it's like, what's the point? Why do you want to watch this show? <laughs> right, right. I mean, Fonzie was still there, and see, he, strangely enough, he's your other connection to. Let's say what he's trying to do in this episode is um, destroy the show and jump the shark. There's another character watching. This is it's getting weirder. There's a character called Ambush Bug. He's a very obscure DC hero character. He's he's more or less again like for this show he seems he has a teleporting ability. He can teleport to places, right? And he's watching Batmite watching the Brave and the Bold. <laughs> <laughs> And he's running on a treadmill in a gym. He seems to be having an ex- kind of an exercise day. He's in a gym watching the show as he's doing his run. He says, like, what? Batmite's changing the show? Oh, this can't be good. He's going to change everything about Batman and he decides to fix it. But here's the thing about Ambush Bug. The guy voicing Ambush Bug is none other than Fonzie himself, Henry Winkler. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> and we all know what Henry Winkler's famous for is creating the, creating the term jumping the jumping shark. Jumping the shark. Jumping the shark, yeah. So it's this show is so deep in this meta textual information that's going on. And so he's watching the show and he decides to go in and try and fix everything. So now Batman is in his Batman street luge outfit finding Gorilla Grodd <laughs> who's turning people into banana people and Ted McGinley is now voicing Aquaman in the show. And so Ambush Bug comes along and, you know, while Batman's street luging, stops in front of him, Batman fires out of the street luge and goes, Look out, citizen, I could have hit you in my super extreme bat luge. And he says, like, your world's being changed. You don't know it. And he tries to tell him that, you know, things are changing and, you know, you don't know what's going to happen because your show, your show is starting to fail. And then it cuts to, like, some a, a father and his son watching the show. Like, this is, again, this is further out of the show. Watching, So you now have two people who know that the show's a, show, show's a cartoon and then people watching the cartoon, a father and a son. And the father's like, wow, this show really has gotten kind of weird. And the kid's like, no, nah, I still like it. And so it seems to be teetering on the fact, like, these weird factors where, like, there's a story of Batman fighting Gorilla Grodd, who's trying to turn people into bananas, Batmite wanting to destroy the show because he hates it, and he wants something new, and then you've got Ambush Bug trying to stop Batmite, and then outside you've got people watching this show happen, and then there's us, as the viewer, watching this happen. <laughs> <laughs> it gets, it's, it, it, it goes even crazy, because so he starts, so Batmite's trying to change everything, and it's slowly starting to work. That uh, people starting to you know switch off, and they start going, ah, this this show isn't actually good anymore. And so the world around them starts coming apart. Like there's like in the sky, it starts turning into just static. So in TV, it just turns to static. You know, people are switching off. People aren't watching anymore. Uh, and so you know, Batman keeps changing things to the point where he's relocated Gotham to I think was it I'm trying to think either Miami somewhere on the coast. I remember what it is. <laughs> so Batman's now fighting Gorilla Grodd on a surfboard while wearing a new bat outfit, and he has like <laughs> board shorts on. And then he decides to change it even more by giving was it he he's added in Ace the Bat Hound, but also Ace's cousin, who so happens to look like Scrappy Doo, <laughs> doing doing everything like let me at him, let me at him. And so he, he's he's pushing even further, trying to make it the worst thing, until a point where he decides, do you know what? I'm going to do one thing that you know Batman would never do or never use, and decides to give Batman guns. 
And so Batman's on the beach, finding Gorilla God, firing guns, and Ambush Bug comes up to him and goes, this isn't who you are. This is not the person that you're supposed to be. You know, and Batman's like saying, go away, I'm trying to do something. And then he, you know, finally breaks through to him and realizes that, wait, and looks at his hands and realizes he's using guns and this whole reality is fake. Like, this point, Batman realizes he's in a show. <laughs> so Batman, the cartoon character, now knows that he's in a show as a cartoon character and a guy, Batmite, is trying to destroy his show. And it, he, his only way is to try and make it more fun again. So he, I think he starts, starts trying to punch Ambush Bug in the face, just trying to save things. <laughs> you, know, you know, give some kids <laughs> some violence, give some you know, excitement. And, you know, Ambush Bug's trying to take things apart. He even talks to Aquaman and mentions that, you know, this show wasn't so bad. I mean, you know, and what's so bad about Ted McGinley? And gets Ted McGinley, who's trying to be Aquaman, going, what? Who is this guy? And, he's, and he goes, like, well, Ted McGinley was a great comedy actor of our time. I mean, he's kind of underrated, but, you know, he had some great timing. He had been was in some great shows. And at that point, Aquaman starts talking as Ted McGinley, as Aquaman, saying, oh, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I'm not that bad. I mean, you know, Married with Children was on for, like, six series. And he's like, ha, I got you to break character. And then he's, you know, he goes, well, do you know what? I'm out of here. And he's like, just quickly changes bodies again, or changes voices back to oh, John DiMaggio. And so he starts trying to piece things back together. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to work. And at the end of it, you have Batmite packing up all his Batman Brave and the Bold stuff and going, well, I guess I'll have to get into a new Batman series. And he's packing all this stuff away. And then on TV, uh, there's a new animated show. It's uh, with like the Warner Brothers logo going, get ready for next series or next ser- season's new show and it's a cgi batman show but it's a cgi batgirl show and he's like what batgirl it's like well why not you know i can deal with this and like you know it it, it has a typical thing where it's like it's batgirl and she's brought some friends along and there's batman in the background all cgi animated which also uh, coincides with the fact that after this show after batman brave and the bold the next show they did was another batman show which was all cgi <laughs> Uh, it didn't have Batgirl as the main character. It was Batman himself. Uh, yeah. But no, they, they were referencing another show that they were actually going to do next. So, Batmite's hyped. He's like, yes, it's going to be another show. It's back to its old brooding ways, not so campy. But then Ambush Bug pops into his place and says like, yeah, well, unfortunately, with a new dark show, with a new dark tone, they don't need a character like you anymore. And now he's talking about Batmite, the character in the very show, about the show <laughs> that he just got cancelled, realizing that Batmite just cancelled himself. And looks around him as the background starts disappearing, and then he starts evaporating. He goes, what? What do you mean? Like, I can't, I can't be part of the show. He's like, well, yeah, I mean, the show is serious now. It's what you wanted, right? And so, you know, Batmite realizes, oh, I guess so. I guess I can't exist. Because he really, like, even though his character lives outside the show, he's actually part of the show. And so he starts being destroyed, and before he disappears, he goes, well, that's all, folks. mirroring you know porky pig's part but then it cuts to this uh last end part which is really just it's it's strange because the show is a cut like batman knows the show's a cartoon the show knows it's a cartoon it's a cartoon but at the end of it it has everyone in the bat cave all the heroes and villains from the entire show together in like some sort of you know end of series mixer so you know the, the villains aren't fighting they're talking to each other they're just you know hanging around drinking as you see guys in the background taking apart the set so you see a guy pick up you see two guys like two crew members pick up the batmobile turn it around and it so happens to be a cardboard cutout as they walk out with it and then the bat computer is just a blow up bat computer where you see a guy push a button and the whole thing just comes down on itself <laughs> and you have batman and ambush bug standing around and batman's like going oh, oh I, I guess it's really over now and he's like yeah it is 
cocktail weenie? And you get to see Batman eat a cocktail weenie. Well, all the heroes <laughs> and villains are, are just standing about. And then Batman turns to the camera and tells everybody, like, you know, don't worry, boys and girls, I'll be back in some form or another with, like, the hammers of justice at the ready. And then he says goodbye. He, the episode ends with the character saying goodbye to the kids and everyone who actually watched <laughs> the show. And that's how it ends. That's the entire series. And that's how it ends. It ends as crazy as it's supposed to be, but ends as uh, as a, a reality check for kids, more or less. It's the most meta thing because it treats itself as a cartoon, but then it's a TV show. And then it's a caricature of what TV shows are at the final episode when they jump the shark. And then it's referencing things outside the show with Ted McGinley and Fonzie Henry Winkler. You know, it's 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 one of those most the most meta show, meta episode of something I've ever seen because it just kind of goes back and forth between these points of like the viewers and understanding shows and understanding complexities of when a show you know finally falls apart. And yeah, it, it ends off really well just because it doesn't go, oh, we need to have a you know a crazy episode where it's just Batman and he's going to live forever. No, they just, they yeah, just, yeah. I did an episode where Batman finally gets to say you know goodbye to everybody before he becomes something else. That's was, great. Yeah, and that's, that's a, awesome. That's a great final episode too. It's it's fantastic just because it, ha- it does not beat around the bush to think it's anything other than what it is. Where it's just a show which is just you know celebrating Batman. And that's that was awesome. a great show too. But I had never seen that finale. It- it's outwardly insane <laughs> for like if you tried to if you tried to like say say this is oh this is going to be episode one or something like that it wouldn't make sense. But seeing the track record of the show and how it pieced itself together and how it used these kind of things. I mean, you know, they even got Pee Wee Herman doing the voice of uh, Batmite. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's like a lot of subtextual stuff. And the show is just, yeah, that final episode, just, it's it's the most real episode, episode of a Batman series ever. It's just, it's great. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to have to try and find that because I've seen... I don't know, probably like six or seven episodes, and I enjoyed every single one of them, but mm. yeah, that one I haven't seen. Mm. I think Space Ghost shows up in one of them too, doesn't he? Yeah, he did. He uh, I think Yes. Uh, maybe appeared yeah, in Yeah, I ep- saw that one. He maybe appeared in an episode prior to this one. He's is one of those um the first sec- teaser segments before the the main credits. Yeah. So it's like that's that's the love of the show. It's like they know exactly what old fans loved about the show and they gave you things that you'd never have seen before yeah so seeing batman and space ghost work side by side that was a that's a crazy vision yeah, yeah that's awesome all right for for my uh final pick here it's kind of uh, uh an example of how a show can delve into insanity in a bad way <laughs> as opposed to uh, uh how batman brave and the bold did it this is the 24th episode of family matters eighth season uh it was uh, directed by joel zwick Written by Fred Fox Jr. and Jim Gagan. It originally aired on ABC's TGIF block on May 9th, 1997. It's notable for being the last episode of Family Matters to ever air on ABC. And, uh, yeah, it, this was so bad that show got moved to CBS. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't say it was because of this, but, you know. But anyway, just a little backstory on Family Matters. I'm sure you guys are familiar with Family Matters, right? Yep. Yep. It was set out to be the story of the Winslows. They were an African-American family living in the Chicago suburbs. The father, Carl, a police officer, and he and Harriet have three, later two, children. And uh, Carl's mother also moves in with them. So, And basically, Family Matters started like this in 1989 as a spinoff to another successful sitcom, Perfect Strangers, which I'm sure you guys are also familiar with. Mm-hmm. Yep. The character, Harriet Winslow 
which is, you know, Carl's wife, the mother, she operated an elevator at the Chicago Chronicle where Larry Appleton from Perfect Strangers worked. And uh, it seems like back then a lot of these sitcoms were built off of each other in this way. Uh, it got to the point where Family Matters really had nothing to do with Perfect Strangers, but, you know, this was the uh, the one character in common. And, you know, it was a great show. It was really funny, and it was about the Winslows, and uh, Carl, played by Reginald Vell Johnson, very, very funny. And we saw the Winslows in day-to-day life, and that's how it went for a few episodes. Uh, until that fateful episode when the next-door neighbor, Stephen Q. Urkel, stopped by. And uh, he was an instant hit. People loved him. He was this little annoying next door neighbor with red glasses and uh, suspenders and hiked up pants. And he snorted when he laughed. And, you know, he just was very annoying. He always annoyed Carl. And audiences could not get enough. And uh, from there, in the seasons that followed, the show became more and more centered around Steve Urkel. And uh, it eventually became... Uh, kind of reality warping in terms of the show. It was all about his physical transformations and his inventions. It's just amazing to see how drastically this show changed over the years. Urkel was a worldwide phenomenon. There were toys of him you could buy. They had cereal. Do you remember Urkelos? Yep. <laughs> ne- never had those. <laughs> Fortunately, they didn't reach your shores. Thank God. But... <laughs> It's unbelievable how crazy, I mean, there was an Urkel bot, there was uh, the character of Stefan Urkel, which is when Urkel went into his transformation machine. (laughs) Now, the episode I want to talk about, it's entitled, A Pirate's Life for Me. (laughs) (laughs) So, let me read you the Wikipedia descriptions of the first episode and A Pirate's Life for Me, and see if you can guess which is which, okay? (laughs) So, here's the first one. When Harriet invites Mother Winslow to come live with them, Mother Winslow starts bossing everybody around and the whole family doesn't get along. Meanwhile, Eddie wants to go to a party, but Carl won't let him go, so Mother Winslow tries to convince Carl to let him go to the party, and eventually does, in exchange to easing up on other family members. Okay, here's the other description. Urkel and Carl go back in time on board a 1700s pirate vessel (laughs) where they are made to walk the plank after Urkel accidentally drops his time travel watch overboard. Fortunately, Myra, along with Laura and Maxine, comes to rescue Urkel and Carl with a copy of a time travel watch he gave her. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, you gotta guess now. Which one do you think is which? It's a tough call. I don't know. Uh, uh, so, so, <laughs> so it's just it's like you look at the original concept. It's like if you had what was it? Everyone loves Raymond, but then all of a sudden, for some reason, by episode what was it? This is series eight, right? Yes. Yeah, you have everyone loves Raymond. We all know that concept, and then by you know series eight, Raymond is a barbarian gladiator in the fourteenth century. <laughs> yeah, it's like something like that. <laughs> It's, it's, it's like, you know, you know, sports reporter to gladiatorial battles. How? That's, wow. That's a long stretch. I mean, that's, that's, that's almost a, a bigger stretch than um, Tim Allen actually surviving all those explosions and drops on his head that he had in uh, Home Improvement. Oh, yes, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean... The, the more you watch the show, and as a, as a young kid, you kind of don't realize, but, oh, Urkel's, you know, Urkel's here, and oh, Urkel's very smart, we learn, and uh, actually, we learn that he's a super genius, and 
He can actually invent things that have never been invented before. And then all of a sudden, okay, well, he can turn himself into the very suave Stefan Urkel to kind of woo Laura. Or, oh, he built the Urkelbot. Oh, wow, this is cool. And you don't realize as a kid that over the years, this show is just becoming more and more this sci-fi story about this kid genius. And the Winslows are kind of like the background characters, you know, and they kind of do, do a couple episodes where you know, uh, or just a couple of moments within episodes that Urkel and Carl are kind of like a, a, a vaudeville comedy team. You know, you got the, the comedy guy and the straight man and he's annoying Carl and it's just insane. And oh yeah, they go to Paris because Urkel built a teleporter. Uh, okay. It, it, it's unbelievable how it defies physics, but the episode that I'm talking about here, uh, this is about Urkel fulfilling one of Carl's dreams uh, that had to do with sea adventure, I guess. And he uses this time machine, this watch, to teleport them onto a pirate ship. And uh, yeah, it doesn't go so well. They're, they're forced to walk the plank. And like the description on the Wikipedia page says, you know, fortunately there was a copy. So it's basically Urkel had something which can warp space time. And mm -hmm. change the fabric of reality. And he made two of them. He just had time to make two of them. <laughs> yeah, so he made a copy. <laughs> what? So he's like, oh, well, I'm gonna, I need a backup just for this one. Yeah, that's what we all do. It's like, wow, I've created a device which can change time and space. I hope knowing it doesn't fall into the wrong hands. But I'm going to make two of them just in case there are, uh, I, I don't know why. If I lose this one or wrong, falls into the wrong hands, at least I have a spare one. Why is he always going to have a backup MacGuffin? <laughs> <laughs> I need two MacGuffins. I, f I feel like his character would, would, like, if you were making the Big Bang Theory back then, his character would be one of those characters. And the Big Bang Theory would turn to this. But then again, I'm sure the Big Bang Theory will turn into this because it's been on forever. <laughs> well, we're past season eight already, right? So uh, I guess it says something for the, the way that that show is written that they didn't go this far yet. Oh, uh, well, yeah, they, they could have. I hope they do, because then they can get cancelled and we have something else. Please, <laughs> I I just don't need Big Bang Theory, please. Uh, but I didn't tell you how this episode ends. Do they die? <laughs> 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 and then we, re then we realize that what happened is that in Die Hard, that's his second life. <laughs> as Carl. <laughs> he came back as Carl. In Die Hard. I know, I, I have heard that theory. That is very funny as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this episode ends with Urkel pointing around your living room and, and making comments to you directly in 3D. That's right. This episode <laughs> Wait, had parts in 3D. <laughs> now, I don't, I don't think this happened in Australia, but Kevin, do you remember the May Sweeps event called ABC in 3D? Oh, yeah. The TV Guide came with the 3D glasses, right? I, I, I'm not sure if TV Guide had it, but I know Wendy's did. It was a big promotion with Wendy's. And uh, basically, <laughs> ABC had this big event called ABC in 3D. And so they had 3D segments in Home Improvement, Spin City, Coach, The Drew Carey Show, Ellen, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Step by Step, America's Funniest Home Videos, and of course, Family Matters. So I remember I, I went to Wendy's. I still have these 3D glasses. I'll have to post a picture on uh, our Twitter page, at Hitting Play. And uh, yeah, you, we picked up our 3D glasses, and this episode finished with a, a distant overhead shot of a pirate ship and a cannonball firing up and at the camera, which then breaks the glass of your TV screen. 
Urkel then pops his head up inside, and so you kind of get this Max Headroom-like effect where he's kind of looking at you and he's pointing his finger around and he's making comments about you in your living room. And uh, yeah, that's how this episode ends. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they obviously make it back home, but for some reason, this is the post credit sequence. Who wants Urkel in the living room making fun of their drapes? No one wants that. <laughs> <laughs> the ABC in 3D... I remember being so psyched about this and just trying to catch everyone. I think I did watch every one of these. Some of them, like Home Improvement did an excellent job where they're like, okay, we got 3D. We have to integrate it into this show. So let's do an episode where for some reason they want to film Tool Time in 3D. So they have 3D cameras stationed there at the set of his show. And so there are segments where they would tell you, put on your glasses now and we see Tim Taylor having fun with the 3D cameras. He's firing bubble guns at it, silly string. And then we watch them actually film Tool Time in 3D, where they're taking wooden boards and, and you know, whoa, you know, bringing them close and far away from the camera. And it looked great. And it was actually kind of funny. Then there were shows like Ellen, Ellen DeGeneres' show. She had a band play. And that was in 3D. And at the very end, the drummer threw the drumsticks at the screen. It's like, okay. <laughs> Spin City was weird because, you know, that's just about the uh, mayor's office in New York City. There was one scene where Michael J. Fox was stabbing towards the camera with a letter opener for some reason. <laughs> then he slips it into his belt and sits down, impaling his manhood quite painfully. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> so, oh. so, yeah, I, I guess um, or even Step by Step did a Wild West episode, which was very strange, but... Yeah, this was a pirate episode of Family Matters. The The show had broken so far away from just the very nice, family-friendly, funny sitcom reality that they had set up to just Urkel doing crazy time machine capers. And he, I think that even lasted to CBS. I think CBS uh, had the final season. And I'm not sure if it's the last episode or towards the end where uh, Urkel goes into space, of course, as an astronaut. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't and know that what wasn't that's... even as crazy as Caper. I, I, I don't know why that's the logical conclusion for shows. I was like, going to space. <laughs> yes. Because, <laughs> you know, as, as I said before, we had like a, the mask and Ace Matura going to space. Why? I, uh, Earth can't handle them. <laughs> but I like that. I like for a, sh a show called Family Matters, o over time, the family didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Right. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's perfectly stated. It's it's entirely true. <laughs> they should have gone with a uh, Urkelbot and Small Wonder crossover episode. <laughs> <laughs> At least in Small Wonder, you had the premise from the very beginning. This is like a robot girl. Okay. Yeah. You know, and we build on that. Nope. This is, you know, oh yeah, one day Urkel shows up with an Urkelbot. Or I, I didn't even mention the, do you remember when Bru uh, the Bruce Lee transformation episodes? No. He would turn into a Bruce Lee character and do uh, karate moves. To usually save the day in some some way. <laughs> I don't remember those. I do remember, you know, Stefan Urkel, though. Oh, yes. I, I think even at one point he was able to separate himself from Stefan Urkel. <laughs> and Laura was uh, seriously considering marrying him, I think, at one point, too. Yeah, I don't know why they went the Nutty Professor route there. <laughs> it's the Nutty Professor. Let's just do that. Yeah. Golly. Well, as, yeah. as, as you can see, there's been a lot of shows which have done a lot of crazy things. 
I mean, just just quickly, just some honorary mentions. Are there any other shows that you know you guys think should have made this list? Like, you know, if you have anything off the top of your head, which is just crazy. I I do have one right off the top of my head. I was sure. just talking to Kevin before we recorded. There there is an episode. We should maybe do an episode about this on the podcast sometime. But there's an episode of Murder She Wrote, season ten, episode five, entitled "A Virtual Murder," and uh, it's about. Uh, Jessica Fletcher being hired to write the story of a virtual reality mystery video game. And, wow. I, I think there's some clips on YouTube. <laughs> it is unbelievable. <laughs> From 1993. Because, because that's what kids want. They're like, what? Jessica Fletcher? Ah, oh, I gotta play this game. <laughs> uh, how about you, Kevin? Anything uh, honorable mention? I don't know. I mean, it kind of going the route I went with, like, just memorable, you know, things. One uh, I almost picked would have been, um, actually, one I almost picked was <laughs> actually right along the uh, the lines of what Hamish had. I was going to do the musical episode of uh, the Batman one until I stumbled across the one for Oz. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, other ones that, you know, I considered would have been... Uh, was it the KRP in Cincinnati where they were throwing the uh, the turkeys off the roof? <laughs> trying to, I was trying to come up with like a good one from you know like a, a classic David Letterman episode or you know like a Conan O'Brien one. Oh sure, yeah. But I mean, there's just so many of those, and it would be hard to choose one really special one. How about you, Hamish? Any any off the top of your head? Um, I think uh, there's the episode of. I think it was series one South Park. It was the one where they're trying to reveal who Cartman's father was. But they did this thing where there, there was an episode where it's like we're going to reveal Cartman's father, but then it cuts to it uh, because they had this fake trailer for uh, Terrence and Philip, and they basically just said, "Oh, next episode's going to we're going to reveal who it is." But then they swapped to like, "No, it's going to be this episode," and it's an episode of, of just the entire movie, and they don't deal with who you know who's. Cartman's father is and it's just this, this one episode and I remember them getting a lot of emails saying like what you, you're going to reveal who the father was it's like now nah, we're going to do this episode and it's an entire episode because yeah it's done in the Canadian format you know that weird <laughs> flappy head stuff yeah, um, yeah. Uh, another episode was an episode of Harvey Birdman where it was I think the latest series where they basically did an episode of Harvey Birdman if you all remember that show mm-hmm. I do oh yeah yeah they did an episode of Harvey Birdman but not in the standard way. Like, they weren't using flash animation. They actually used segments from the original show of Birdman and the Galaxy Trio, and they basically redubbed it and re-edited it to fit their show. <laughs> so, do you see the original animation rather than their, you know, new, crisp yeah. flash animation and just retelling it in their way? And it's it's great because, like, you know, the characters are back in their format, but, like, you know, Harvey Birdman has a realistic approach, like, voice-wise to things. And there was another episode was, uh, I think, Back in the Saddle. It was an episode of Extreme Ghostbusters. It was a two-part final episode, but what they did was, if you ever saw Extreme Ghostbusters in, like, the 2000s this era, anybody? No. Nobody? Mm-mm. Just me, then. Uh, <laughs> but, well, basically, when the, you know, the franchise of Ghostbusters, like, there was the real Ghostbusters cartoon show, and then they made, uh, I think, in the mid-2000s era, uh, Extreme Ghostbusters, where it was a new team of guys, uh, led by Egon. Like, Egon was yeah, a professor at a university, and he was teaching these new guys to be Ghostbusters, you know, four new recruits. Including a girl. There were, there's a Hispanic guy in there as well. There's a good mix of people. There's even a paraplegic dude. So, you know, they said anyone could be a Ghostbuster. But this last episode is a two-part episode. And it actually brings back the original voice cast from the real Ghostbusters TV show. 
and it brings them back, and they're actually all working together with the, with the extreme new Ghostbusters and the original Ghostbusters from the TV show, and they've got the original equipment and everything, uh, and they're working together to capture this new threat of the city. It was a really good episode, just because, like, that was a logical continuation, and basically the Ghostbusters for this episode came back to celebrate Egon's 40th birthday, and that was their <laughs> excuse to bring them all back. They all came together. But it's like, was it? They're only supposed to be there for like a day. And then they realize, like, hey, we should, uh, you know, go out on a case and, you know, capture some ghosts. And then they get back into the vibe and, like, hey, we should do this again. Yeah, we should become Ghostbusters again. You know, it's a little bit of a jealousy to the new team who have been doing this for a while as well. You know, they got their new skills and everything like that. But no, it's a really good episode because, like, yeah, they brought back the, the voice cast from the original show. That's cool. Yeah. You, you know, now that I'm trying to think of some other uh, episodes too. Just thinking of animation. Do you remember the uh, the Spider Man series from 1994, the cartoon series? Do you remember yeah. towards the end how that that kind of went? <laughs> and there was like some break in uh, in space and time, and we got all these Spider Mans from different dimensions, including one that was like, "Oh, I'm an actor playing Spider Man." Yeah, yeah. And it yeah. got very uh, folded in on itself, uh, and Spider Man got to meet Stan Lee. Spider-Man got to literally meet his maker at the end of his series. Mm. And it was uh, a very odd, you know, and of course, Stanley voicing himself. Hi, nice to meet you, you know, and all this stuff. And uh, then the the series ended with uh, Mary Jane being taken to Earth 2 and Spider-Man, oh, I have to go after her. And uh, then we end up with this other weird second Spider-Man series with animal head people and... Whatever, I don't. I didn't even watch that one, but that was a weird yeah, episode. Yeah. I don't know, yeah, that show was uh, Spider-Man Unlimited, I think it was called? <laughs> yes, yes, Unlimited. And, the, and the, it was literally <laughs> what I just said in the Might Fall episode. Yeah, he's got, like, a new outfit and everything, just to sell toys. Like, he's got this new outfit, which he explains he apparently stole from Reed Richards or something like that. I remember <laughs> sure. watching the first, ep- first episode, because it was he has a cloaking ability, and it can change to match clothing or something. Because okay. you know, kids want <laughs> a new outfit, I guess, for the Spidermans. Yeah, it ended up being very limited, fortunately. Hmm. And just going back to what you were saying, uh, Kevin, about uh, Conan O'Brien and thinking about that. Yeah, Conan had some great episodes. Do you remember the Claymation episode? They took the audio from one of the uh, recent episode and did a complete Claymation remake of that particular episode. And then there were some other great episodes that weren't really planned like that, uh, where the uh, the great uh, blackout in 2003 that uh, New York City experienced, yep. uh, Conan was going to tape an episode, and they decided, hey, let's just do it anyway. And, uh, yeah, with very limited lighting, they they decided to have an episode, and no guests, you know, him and Andy. Actually, I don't even know if Andy was there. He might have left, but Joel Goddard, the announcer, was there, and, you know, they just they had an episode. So they, they did some really great things, and, of course... The writer's strike was Oh, the writer's too. strike was great, too. Yeah, I mean, you know, for what he had to deal with, you know? Right. Oh, oh no. Uh, now I th- just from thought of one I should have picked. Uh, I, there's n- I don't know if I'd be able to find it, you know, I'm sure it's out there somewhere, but when Letterman would have, you know, kind of the fill in Letterman, <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, Bruce Willis was the host, those episodes. Were oh, great. wow. Never saw those. Huh? <laughs> yeah. I remember that he also had uh, Adam Sandler for an episode. And, like, mm-hmm. that was actually a really good episode because it's like, why doesn't Adam Sandler just do late night? It's actually just not bad. You know, <laughs> stop doing garbage movies. Why don't you just do, like, live stuff? You know, he isn't too bad at it. Yeah. Yep. I thought it was good. <laughs> like, Bruce Willis would do, like, all these, like, kind of like the bits like Letterman used to do with, like, you know, the Velcro suit and stuff like that. So he would do, like, you know, the Bruce Willis, like, CD 
opener or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was just basically just smashing the cases. Wow, that's awesome. So yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of very special episodes, but uh, we f- we felt that for this very special episode of Hitting Play, it would uh, it'd be fun to take a look at some of these episodes where we probably wouldn't want to waste someone's valuable time primarily focusing on just one of these episodes as much as I would be willing to talk about A Pirate's Life for Me for two hours. <laughs> I don't know if anybody <laughs> else would. But uh, yeah, it, this was fun. I agree, and I'll probably go back and try and uh, catch the rest of that Batman series. Yeah, me too. All right, and that'll pretty much do it for this very special episode of Hitting Play. Uh, Thank you to everybody that made these 100 episodes possible. Uh, We had some great guests, Steve Levine, Evan Wilson, Jesse Pruden, Greg Murphy, Jeff DeSilva, Veronica Fish, Bonaventure James, Greg Gethard, uh, social media superstar Bottle Rocket, uh, Kristen Bartlett and Jason Gore, as well as some voicemails we had in our Rock, Rotten, Rule episode from great fans of the best show, including Tom Sharpling himself. Oh, and also we had uh, Morgan Freeman and Stan Lee show up also. Uh, and also uh, all of the great people that have co-hosted with us, uh, Matt Nelson, uh, Chet of the Down the Hall podcast, our resident Star Wars expert Paul, Sean's brother Dan and Jonah, Steve, who subjects us to some of the worst shows in television history, uh, Kevin and his wife Sarah, as well as some commercial cameos by their kids, Reese and Megan, the Unboxing Kids, thank you, and Hamish, thank you, and of course Lily and Sean, uh, so great, and uh, I'm so happy to have uh, worked with all of you guys uh, these almost two years now, so thanks to all of you. Well, it's been a great experience, and like in any TV show, I have to reveal that I'm my twin brother. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> that's right the evil one it's been me the entire time <laughs> any other plot twists uh these not- podcasts take place in 1955 <laughs> <laughs> and we will now be singing the rest as of the we podcast. zoom out to reveal it was in a snow globe the whole time on a spaceship <laughs> hitting play was his sled <laughs> uh. Well, as always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, uh, your very special episodes, whatever you get for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at hittingplay. Now, you guys have anything you want to plug? I like to plug Hamish. He's okay. You know, he's a great guy. No. That's <laughs> the evil twin I'm, wouldn't I'm, say I'm, that. Aha! <laughs> exactly. Um... <laughs> no, but it's the evil twin selling the other guy. Who knows? Uh, no, you can if if you need to find me, I'm on the Twitter as Silent Hamish, on Instagram as the Silent Hamish or Silent Hamish. I'm not saying why I'm saying the Silent Hamish because yeah, yeah. I'm I'm the evil twin. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm Instagram Silent Hamish. Uh, I was about to say Vine, but I realize that's dying now. So not that, but I'll probably upload some of my old stuff onto Instagram. Uh, and you also can find me on uh, my facebook page silent hamish art so yeah i'm about on the internet or on the street if you're in melbourne sounds good <laughs> and i can be found on twitter and on facebook as uh, one wall cinema uh you can also find uh the mystery science theater type uh commentary tracks that my brother and i do at gumroad.com slash one wall cinema and uh, actually, if you use the coupon code hitting play, it'll uh, save you a little bit of change off of almost every single thing we've got on there. 
And because this is a very special 100th episode, you can use the coupon code HITTINGPLAY100 on uh, episode 10, which is the Chevy Leader News episode 1 uh, riff, and you can receive 100% nice. off. Wow. That's great. Which, if you're a math expert, you'd know that's all of it. <laughs> it's a percent per episode we've done. Yeah. So wait, you didn't have to say 100%. And it's just, isn't it just free? Yeah, well. Yeah, but it's the 100th episode. episode, so. So you get 100% free. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Yeah, everyone should uh, definitely check those out. Mm. Uh, I am on Twitter. My name there is at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. Uh, I am also on Vine. My name there is MC and Friends, but as Hamish said, Vine is going away. And I've joined Instagram. My name there is MC underscore and underscore friends. And uh, there I've posted a lot of my drawings as well as uh, reposted some of uh, the classic Vines and stuff that I've done. So please follow me there. If you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out. And if you do, you will get a shout out on the show. For Android users, we are also available to stream and or download on Stitcher. If you do, please make us a favorite. We can be found on TuneIn Radio and the Google Play Music app, so check us out there. And uh, if you get the TuneIn Radio channel for your Roku device, you can stream these episodes right through your television as they are posted. Well, we have been Hamish, Kevin, and Scott. This has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening to this 100th episode. And here's to 100 more. <laughs> all the same. All all the same stuff. Just we'll just go into repeats. Go into syndication. There we go. Yeah. Oh yeah, we if we hit a hundred, that's the syndication number, right? And plus this is a special episode, uh, I'll talk about my spin off series because every character has to have a spin off. I'm doing a show called uh, Pausing Hitting Play, where I review episodes of old hitting play and we talk about it with guests. <laughs> <laughs> Can I be a guest? Uh maybe. All right, I'll talk. I know it's it's it gets busy. I'm trying to get, stay away. I'm trying to go to solo route. You know, I'm just a yeah. I'm just I just yeah. Maybe I mean yeah. It's like yeah. We just can't can't keep drawing back to the source material. I mean yeah. It's it's like having having Picard turn up on uh, Voyager all the time. Just guess yeah. Just yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Well, wow, Voyager. All right, I can take a hint. Yeah, it's just just yeah, it's just yeah, just just yeah, man. Go on, go on solo. <laughs> I mean, Sean. I mean, Sean can come along if he wants, but but I don't know. We don't. We, we I don't know, man. All right, that's <laughs> quite an interesting ending. Well, those sharks aren't going to jump themselves. <laughs>